gather around the lamp and Aston Villa podcast. If at first you don't succeed, come back next year and try again. Aston Villa celebrates the pleasure of promotion to the Premier League. Well, as soon as Jack Grealish was made captain, the script was written. Him lifting the Championship trophy, getting his boyhood club to the Premier League. He will always be Aston Villa's Jack Grealish. Hello and welcome to the Gather Around the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. As always, I'm your host, Regan, and you can find me on Twitter at FindFoy, and I'm joined by Mark. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? It's Mark Jarobi here. You can find me on Twitter at VillamarkPGH. Uh, the West Ham game was a little much, man. What are you, what are you thinking about West Ham? Um, to, uh, to be fair, it was the first game this season that I've really kind of found myself getting annoyed. Um by the way that we've that we've been playing and it's not necessarily like collective or into individual performance it's just short passages of play that have got on my nerves um so you know especially once um you know they were down to 10 men there were periods of the game that like we were wasting passes and i could i could just literally feel myself like starting to like reach the boiling point and i was like i, I can't really deal with this yeah it was kind of it was kind of hard for me i'm sitting there watching it and you know, I was, I was patient at first, and I'm, you know, watching, and I'm watching, I'm like, all right, all right, we're starting to make a little, you know, a little headway here, and moving up the pitch, just, I don't know, I wasn't, I wasn't happy with the standard of passing again, I mean, it's not, I don't know, it's not bad passes, it's, it's just, it's it's frustrating to watch a team when you you know, or at least you have a, a big belief in the, what they can be capable of, and they don't do it, so it's a little frustrating, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a really underwhelming performance. So I think it's kind of tough for the the fan base as a whole right now to be positive after even even coming off of a, a nil nil, you know, draw to a Premier League uh, mainstay. Yeah, I mean, like like I tweeted uh, the the morning after that, it's okay to be disappointed with the result, but I don't think necessarily it's okay to be disappointed with the performance. I don't think it was a bad performance. Um, but the result, I guess, was disappointing, all things considered. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't need you know Villa to come out and win that game three 0 and make a statement out of it. But I did think that there were opportunities within the pattern of the game that Villa looked a lot more menacing offensively than West Ham ever did through the entirety of the game. So I wanted a little bit more from Villa in the areas they're good at because I think that's the way forward and I think that's what Dean Smith's really trying to get at at the end of the day you have to play to your strengths and they didn't look like they played to their strengths against West Ham but then again we're talking about a West Ham side who's a Premier League mainstay and I'm not trying to say they're a top six or even top eight side they're probably more toward the bottom of the of the top ten in, in the league uh, at least my opinion um, but yeah I would I would like to have gotten something out of that especially with West Ham being reduced down to man and whatnot but um yeah it was still still a pretty back and forth game I agree. Uh, if you if you did miss the game, Villa played West Ham United in a one uh, sorry a nil nil draw, and it was you know it was pretty lackluster fashion. Uh, with with Trezeguet suspended, Dean Smith went for Anwar El Ghazi and Hotta as the wide men against a West Ham side that had a ton of pace on the wings, um, both at full back and in their wing areas. Um, Villa played well and their first opportunity to score came from a set piece in the 10th minute as Grealish crossed the ball, crossed the ball into the box um, but West Ham goalkeeper Fabianski was able to come out and claim it the, the, really one thing that um, that I did notice is that 
Villa are kind of missing Connor Harran and his ability from dead ball situations. Um, you know, whether that's a free kick, whether that's a corner, I think we're especially missing him on corners. Yeah, I, I think we're missing Harahan. I think it's just the familiarity of he knows, you know, how to play with uh, John McGinn and Jack Grealish. And it sounds very simple because it is very simple. And it's just a belief of mine that I think that has a lot to do with the midfield not being as bright as we're used to seeing it in the championship. Again, you're going up a league, so the standard is going to go up. That's just natural for that to happen. But just for me, I think Harahan needs to find a way into this team. And it's no knock on Nakamba. I thought he had a pretty decent... Uh, albeit mediocre performance against West Ham for his Premier League and club debut. But I think Harham for me, I mean, West Ham committed 11 fouls against Villa throughout the game. You know, not saying all of those are going to be 11 chances that Harham or somebody else would get to for a free kick opportunity. But from a dead ball situation, is there really anybody else on the team you'd rather have, you know, on the field for those kind of situations than Connor Harham? I'm not too sure. Um, so not only just the continuity within the side, I think he needs to make a return, but also just for the fact of the extra added bonus of being a wild card from dead ball situations. I don't think you can put a price on that. A newly promoted side such as Villa, you're going to have to thrive when you do get those dead ball opportunities and you're really going to want to try to make the most of them. So I think Villa might be losing that a little bit. Well, you, you spoke about Nakamba and it, it, it wasn't his club debut because he played against crew in the Carabao Cup. Um, but it was his Premier League debut, and <clears throat> excuse me, I was quite impressed with Nakamba actually. Um, I think he had, he did have an up and up and down game. Um, misplaced a few passes, probably more than, uh, probably less than I thought he did, if I'm honest, because he ended up with an 88% passing accuracy. Um, but for me, he made a real nuisance of himself, and he won a lot of duels, both offensively and defensively. He did. I didn't think he looked bad, but for me, if if you're going to play that area of the pitch for this Aston Villa side with Dean Smith as the manager, you're going to need to know when to run forward. And of course, I'm not slagging the guy after one game. I think he's, he'll grow into that and he'll learn when to go forward and when to do exactly what he did against West Ham. He he did for sure, you know, um, you know, pretty much boss the central defensive midfield area for Villa. Um, yeah, he misplaced a couple passes, and sometimes he passed it right to the opposition. Again, it's his first time in the Premier League. Um, yeah, he did play in the Carabao Cup. I did forget about that. I apologize. But, um, yeah, as far as the Premier League debut, you can't really be upset about it. And like you said, with the defensive duels, he won 78% of his defensive duels. He had seven recoveries in West Ham's half of the pitch, so that means when the ball was trying to be cleared by West Ham, he was at least getting a couple of them and keeping it in for maybe you know an offensive opportunity. So and it's what you want to see from the combo. It's just tough because where does Conor Horahan come into this squad at? You know, like it, you know, Dean Smith isn't going to pull a, a Mick McCarthy and throw him at left back. You know, don't don't think that's going to happen. So you know, it's tough because we have a wealth of midfielders, but it's like we don't have a wealth of players anywhere else on the pitch. You know, talking about wingers or in the striking positions. So it, it's going to be a little tough for Connor. I just feel that Villa is going to have to be a team that thrives in dead ball situations, and you know, it might be a little bit of stubbornness from Dean Smith with these other players he brought in, but. I don't know. I just I think I think you're missing a little bit of that chemistry in the middle of that pitch. I think, for me, Nakamba was the least of our worries, um, and we we've picked upon it a couple of times really. And it, it's the wingers. I think El Ghazi had a bit of a better game than than Hotter did, and Hotter has been disappointing for me um, for the, for the entirety of the Premier League season, other than Everton. Um, he did so well in pre-season, and we, we, we 
published an article basically saying beware him reaching his boiling point too early and he's done exactly that. He can't handle the Premier League at this stage. Um, hopefully, you know, he, he gets used to the style of play and comes more into his own. Um, if he doesn't, you know, granted it's not it's not that much of a, an outlay in terms of finance, like the finances of it, but at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, He's not a great option on the right at the moment. The last two two games, he's had literally n- nothing. Like he, he's, if you look at his stats, he, they're, they're like really bad. Yeah, and it's tough. And I think it might be one of those things that this is this you know player, Hada. And yeah, we want to see any player that's in a in a Villa shirt performing. We want to see him perform to the best visibility. But it might be one of those things where he played with the manager before, and this might be a little bit of a gamble for Dean Smith. You know. Uh, regardless of of what happened and how he got here and what team he came from, like you were in the premier league, you have to perform and you're right. I don't think he has performed to the best of his ability. And again, with the article you spoke of about the boiling point and whatnot that, you know, that um, people should be aware that, you know, how he gets, he he gets hot in spurts and that's really what it is. He has phases of being really hot. And then, you know, his previous forms from other clubs and yesteryear shows that he will go a while without actually contributing very much at all. Um, you know, Villa fans thought that was just yeah, a dig from Birmingham City fans whenever they were telling, like, no, this guy disappears all the time. You know, we've seen it over the past two games. For all intents and purposes, he has. And, you know, Hadid can pass a ball. He, his, his ball passing can be exquisite. We've seen it already during the Premier League. We definitely saw it in the preseason. But as far as him maybe just heating up a little bit too early in preseason and, you know, now he's crashing down and, you know, no pun intended, but we, we kind of caught a little bit of a heat for that right. If I remember it correctly, people were saying, oh, you know, no, he's going to go and take the Premier League by storm. And now that's really not the case. So I think Villa have a little bit to look at in the wide areas, and I'm hoping for the best of the club and for the player himself that they're able to, you know, work it out and he's able to contribute a little bit more. But he didn't do enough for me against West Ham whatsoever. Yeah, and he was he was subbed off um, probably just before the midway point of the second half, um, just two minutes before Arthur Masuaku was sent off. Um, and judging by the way he was playing before that sending off and before he was uh, substituted, I don't really think it would have made much of a difference if he'd have stayed on the pitch. I don't either, but I heard a couple of claims that, you know, if, if that foul happens while Hod is still on the pitch, he he would stay out there. I don't think so. I think I think he kind of had to take him off for the betterment of the team. It was starting to get to the point where he was even afraid to really run past the halfway line. West Ham did have spells of, of sustained pressure. It's nothing to, you know, hide away from or shy away from. There were points in times where Villa were pinned in their own end, and they weren't getting much help from their wingers at all, uh, defensively at least. A couple times, but not nothing nothing major. He just doesn't, uh, Hada just doesn't track back enough for me um he's got to be I'd rather him be just a a bang average you know standard two-way player than just be phenomenal just going forward and woeful coming back so hopefully he'll find a way and the coaching staff will find a way to strike a balance at least for him specifically um yeah it's just even even like judging him and Trezeguet you know if you if you compare those two players and I didn't I haven't thought that Trezeguet's looked exceptional either but I think between those two players I think Trezeguet is definitely the man that that sits at the top of the depth chart for the right attack yeah, I would I would think that um against Arsenal we're likely to see either a left wing of Trezeguet and a right wing of El Mohamedi or a left wing of El Ghazi and a right wing of Trezeguet. I think with all the promise of El Ghazi he definitely starts on the left, but I would definitely look for Trezeguet to come right back into the side. 
Yeah, I completely agree. But anyway, back back to the West Ham game. Um, after Masawaki was sent off, the game slowed down a little. Um, Villa looked uneasy when they were trying to attack. Like they didn't really know what to do with their advantage. Um, West Ham looked reasonably comfortable, um, almost as if they'd planned for for Masawaki to be sent off. You know, they made they made a good sub with Zabaleta coming on, um, and basically left. Um, Haller or Aller, um, up on up on his own really, and he contributed defensively as well. But um, it was it was uh it was a bit a bit odd to see Villa struggle to take hold of the game despite having the extra man. It was man, and I'll tell you, like as as I'm watching it unfold before my eyes, and I'm sitting there at the pub with the rest of my you know mates here in Pittsburgh, and I'm I'm watching the TV, and the sending off happens. I got really excited about the sending off. I'm like, okay, man, if we needed a bounce, you know, especially through the entirety of the season, like this is the time to get a bounce to start to turn our luck around. You know, we gotta, you know, I wasn't, I didn't really think the the yellow that Mike Dean gave Masawaka, I didn't really think that was, you know, enough of a fence to be a second yellow, but regardless of that he goes off I'm excited about it and then it seemed like Villa didn't know what to do whatsoever as if they haven't planned to face a team with having a man advantage they weren't pushing up the field too high on the corners that Villa received being you know having the extra man they didn't seem to really put bodies forward it was was a little strange for me and um, it almost seemed like he gave the advantage to West Ham because West Ham was breaking out you know they're breaking the other way and it was a slow build-up kind of counter-attack you know that West Ham when they would would get the ball but it looked threatening it looked like you know there was a couple times where I you know kind of held my breath a little bit like man if they they find a way to counter and beat us you know a man down this is going to be terrible but I, I don't know. It just it seemed like the Villa players, and you could say it maybe might have been a lack of conditioning, a lack of stamina. You know, you're seeing all these pictures on social media after the West Ham game of the players flat on the floor holding their heads, you know, huffing and puffing and stuff like that. And yeah, they gave their all, and that's what I like to see from my team. But you got to have that little bit of extra in the tank when it really matters, you know, and and be able to see it through. And you know, sadly, Villa didn't have that against West Ham. Yeah, and I think there's there's been a lot of talking um, about Jack Grealish. Once the sending off had happened, he he was you know trying to be that man to kind of construct something for Villa, and it just didn't really pay off for him. Uh, he did misplace a fair few passes or run into trouble if he was trying to dribble, but statistically he was head and shoulders above the vast majority of Aston Villa players. Um, so I, I don't really understand some of the criticism that's been you know lobbied his way. Um, in terms of his pass accuracy, I think it could have probably been a bit better. Um, he had a 79% accuracy. But the, the key thing for me, out of those passes, that seven of them uh, were successful into the final third. And two of those were key passes, which uh, I think both of them landed to Wesley. And he, he struggled to uh, to put them away. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with Jack's performance. Uh, I I don't look through these rose tinted glasses of last year in the championship and him bossing games. I think that's over. Um, I think it was always going to be over. I never really had the opinion that he was going to take the league by storm and all this kind of stuff. He's not going to get away with playing the way that he did in the championship in the Premier League. Um, I was I was pretty vocal about that as we were you know going through the the um, joys of winning the playoff final last year, and I. 
I think he's he's doing the best he can. You know, he's in a central mid role. He's doing he's ha- being forced to do things. He's having to be more responsible on the pitch, and you're seeing it. He's starting to actual mark players back, and he's starting to block shots, and he's starting to put in the hard yards, and he's starting to be able to pick up his man when one of the uh, fullbacks you know gets busted coming back the other way. You know, and he's doing all these things. He's trying to cover for so much on the pitch, and maybe he really hasn't been used to that before. But you have to kind of be a complete central mid if you're going to play central mid in the Premier League. And there's been a lot of shouts to move Grealish around the pitch, but there was a video on social media I saw that came out, I want to say in the last four or five days, him talking about he's comfy and he's comfortable in that center mid role and he wants to, and he knows that he wants to get better at it. He doesn't want to play off the left. He said he hated playing there and things of that nature. So I think Grealish is going to be just fine. I just don't think that he was, you know, he is the talisman. He is the legend here. He is the, you know, Villa boy, you know, born and bred, but I don't think he's doing terrible. I don't think there's any cause for concern or panic. You know, it's still, again, you know, only, only five games in you know there's a lot of games left to be played and that you know you don't get a lot of time in the Premier League to put it together but you got to you got to maintain that hope that you know Villa finds a way and yeah that might that might have to start with Jack Grealish but you know I'm, I'm sure it will They'll, I, I think him of any other player will get it together quicker than you know anybody else yeah I, I agree with that and he he had a late chance uh towards the end of the game and he he could he could have possibly done a bit better, but I think the ball was possibly too high for him to get his his foot on it properly. Um, but a lot of people are saying that he should have headed it. I don't think that he, he would have even made contact with the ball if it had gone with his head. I think it was too high and it was, it was, he was lucky to have got a touch on it as it was. Yeah, I, I think for me, if I would rather seen Wesley... I would rather see that chance fall to Wesley than Jack. Just a little bit taller, a little bit bigger, might be able to use your body like a shoulder or turn it around and, you know, kind of trap the ball. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Jack missing that chance. That's, that's a difficult thing. You know, you can't, you can't look every chance like that falls to you. You can't bicycle kick it over your head into the top corner and, you know, you're, you're off to the corner flag to celebrate. They don't always come off that way. So, um, yeah, I didn't have a problem with that that chance that Jack missed. I think that it was just it was a hard chance, and you know that ball's falling a lot faster than you think from such a high distance. I mean, go in your backyard and try it right now with the closest ball and see. You know, you tweet me, let me know how many how many attempts you uh, made contact with. <laughs> <laughs> I think as well something that I want I want to um, point out is is John McGinn. Um, I think you know his first couple of appearances for Aston Villa he was about in the Premier League at least. He was touted by the media and you know some of the the pundits as being like you know this this absolutely stellar player, which he is. Um, but you know I, I feel like he's trying to continue that. He's trying to like, prove himself or prove to himself that he can get those kind of plaudits every week, because the last couple of games he's been firing shots from from places that aren't really going to test a Premier League goalkeeper. Um, he had three shots against West Ham with one on target. And the only one that was on target... Well, all three of them were from outside the box for one. But the only one that was on target was from nearly 40 yards out. And it was directly to Fabianski. You know, it didn't test him at all. It didn't test him. I remember that shot, but it was kind of fun to see, you know, John McGinn take a, <laughs> take a shot from there. And, you know, but that's that might be a little bit of the frustration of the player. You know, he knows that this team needs to score goals and he might be wanting to try and put it on his shoulders a little bit. He might be, you know, like you said, he got a lot of a lot of plaudits and a lot of people like starting to take notice of John McGinn. <clears throat> so um, I think that maybe he might be pressing a little bit, but he needs to do the best for himself. And that's just play his natural game, because we've seen John McGinn come into a situation and 
you know, play really well and just doing the things he does best. And he, he, I think he is doing that so far, but I don't think he needs to really concern himself about like just shooting from everywhere. I mean, you got to shoot to score. Everybody knows that. And if, if the opportunity arises, he definitely should. He has a wand of a left foot. So I just think, I hope that he doesn't feel any pressure on himself that he has to be the guy. Cause I don't really think that, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I don't think that's his role in this like new look, new era, Aston Villa. I just don't think that he's, the guy that's going to ever get you 12 to 15 goals in a premier league season. I think he's closer to the five to eight kind of thing. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, you know, that's great. You want to be able to have goals from your midfield, but I don't think he should have it. I I hope there's no pressure on his shoulders. Like, okay, well, Wes isn't kicking off. The wingers aren't really playing great. Jack's having trouble getting forward. Um, You know, the CDM in the formation quote unquote is, is switching almost every game these days. Uh, What can I do? How can I contribute? That's a real thing that goes through, you know, sports, you know, fanatics heads and, 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 and uh, athletes head so I just hope that he doesn't have that because he just needs to play his own game he needs to be the John McGinn we know and love and you know I'm, I'm sure he'll do that it's just I I don't think that McGinn's the he, I don't think he needs to be the quote unquote guy going forward like you, you're looking towards him like what are we going to do John you know yeah do you think there's a serious claim for a change of formation uh, personally for me, no. And the only reason I say no is because Dean Smith got to Aston Villa due to his system, his quote unquote system and the way he wants to do things and how he wants to line up. It's pretty much consistently been a four, three, three, or you can call it a four, one, four, one, whatever your preference is. Um, so I think you stay with that. You stay with that until it's broken. I think it's going to, we're have to going to go on a terrible, terrible run of form and hit that seat that he sits in is going to have to get really, really hot for him to even think about changing the formation. I know a lot of people are calling for it and they're calling for these three, you know, to four midfield, the diamond in the midfield, drop the wingers, put Trezeguet at uh, central attacking mid, put El Ghazi at central attacking mid, shadow strikers. There's so much, like all of a sudden everybody, you know, has played FIFA and wants to mess around with the team. Again, it's five games in. I'm I'm don't think for a second Dean Smith's going to completely abandon what he's been working since he walked through the door just just because you know things haven't gone great in the first five. I think that's a point well made. I think personally I like to see my wingers having more of an impact on games. Um and you know if if not even just that but I I like to see the, you know the, the players that play it to the wings. I'd like to see them have more of an impact in this new look Villa. You know, Trezeguet, Al Ghazi, Hotta. I want to see them. You know, do well. And if that means that they have to not play on the wing to do well, then so be it. But as you said, I, I don't think it's right for Dean to move away from his, his system just yet. But at the same time, I think I think. That the wingers' seats are getting a bit hot, as as you put it. I think, I think if they continue to lack their contribution, then something will change. Because I, I I mentioned it in an article last night in the Lamplight article where we look at the statistics from players to say whether they had an actual good performance or a bad performance compared to their their performance at face value. Um, and and Hotter has been subbed off or sorry, has played an average of 49 minutes per game of Premier League football. So it shows how often he's getting subbed off and how, or how late he's being subbed on. And he's he's having such a little impact in the games that he's often the first person to be replaced. Yeah, I mean, I can totally understand the shouts for a different formation. The team's not scoring goals. 
like you said, there. I mean, we can all see that the wingers aren't having a great time out there. And, you know, it, it sounds like I'm, I'm a broken record here, but like the gelling process, and I know you don't get a lot of a time in the Premier League, and, you know, I know that the games are going to come thick and fast at some point, but I just don't think Dean Smith's the kind of personality that he's he's just going to abandon it, like, quickly. I, I Like I said, I think it would take something, like, monumental, like two of our wingers have injuries or suspensions at the same time you know something like that where he's forced into it I can see that happening but I mean he he went to a 4-4-2 at the end of the West Ham game you know he tried to throw Keenan Davis to the right of Wesley and they tried to make something happen that way and it might have only been for seven or eight minutes but it shows that he's he's worth in that, at least in that situation the change of formation I just don't think that he comes out starting 11 with some crazy different formation with a bunch of midfielders out there anything like that if he does I'll you know I'll be totally surprised but I mean I'll, I'll trust them you know you got to trust Dino I, I haven't lost any kind of respect or any kind of trust for the man but if he does feel like he needs to change it to get things done for sure I mean it would be interesting to see guys like you know Hada and El Ghazi and Trezeguet as a central attacking mid I'm not going to say that that wouldn't you know excite me a little bit because it would so I can see it on both sides of the fence I'm not 100% saying D, you know Dean Smith would never do it I just can't see it right now I just I just think that he's worked through this I mean we've seen it pretty much the same exact stock standard thing since the beginning of preseason you know so it, with all these new players they had they had to kind of get on board and you know some players are going to adapt better than others but you know that's why Dean Smith's in that chair to make these decisions do you think he's been a bit of a, a blind romantic of sorts in regards to our striking options or or has been a blind romantic um you know, we, we we signed a young Brazilian forward from the the Ulipa League, um, who I think scored a goal in every two hundred and twenty minutes of football last season across forty eight games, um, and then we've got Jonathan Codger, who we've we've seen for twenty minutes so far at the end of the Spurs game, um, and then Keenan Davis, who you know we make it very evident that we adore as a player but for me davis is not premier league level you know and he's more championship level and it would have done good to see him go out on loan um wesley he's obviously going to take time to adapt he's going to struggle he's young he got i think he started playing football at the age of 16 you know like there there are many things that that can go wrong for wesley um and with Kodja, we've not seen anything of him yet because of, of his injuries. Um, so do you, do you think he was a bit too romantic with with what Villa had? Do you think that we needed to bring in another striker? I, I think that another striker was about to come in the door and something happened late. Um, I, I, I honestly think that's the case. Uh, it kind of makes it a little weird. The Scott the Scott Hogan loaning seems a, l- a little weird to me without bringing somebody in. I, I've said that before. Um, I at least wanted like one more. It wasn't Hepburn Murphy. I know a lot of people wanted to give him a shot. They liked what he showed a little bit in the preseason. I thought he needed to go out on loan. Um, Keenan Davis again. We're big fans of Keenan on you know on this podcast on our site. Other co- Villa content creators in the community were pretty. I I really haven't met anybody who seriously can say that they don't like Keenan Davis for one reason or another. Um, so I'm a little I'm a little worried about the striking options. Um, the acquisition of Wesley. And me and you had this conversation, not on the podcast, but we definitely, you know, talked through Messenger about it. I wasn't, because of the way that Wesley came out of the blue and there wasn't any links or anything like that to him, and then doing the stat digging on him, I wasn't ever really 
sold on him kicking off like as soon as he got here. I thought it was always going to be a little bit of a project. You know, he's he's of a younger age. He has a big body, a big frame to him, and there was going to be a, a lot to a lot to work on there. Um, I think Wesley becomes a wonderful acquisition if Aston Villa is still in the championship. Um, I think that learning curve would have been a lot better for him. I think he would have kicked on probably a little bit quicker. But even um, back when the uh, when the Villa came to Minnesota and I attended that game, uh, one of the nights we I was sitting there with my buddy Paul from uh, the, the Space City Lions, and we're just talking back and forth about stuff. And he, he had a shocked expression on his face when I told him I didn't think that Wesley kicks off immediately i was like i don't i don't think he has more than you know three goals his first six or seven games and he was like really well we're gonna need goals from somewhere and i'm like i just don't think it's gonna happen i think there's gonna be a maturation process there and a learning curve um you know not to ramble on about it but it you know it is what it is and you know now our striking options are a little bereft and that's not you know a good thing at all i'm i'm actually a little optimistic about you know wesley you know getting better um, he just needs to take his chance a little bit more. And I'd like to see him try to bring his wingers in. But again, the wingers aren't having a good time. So it's looking like Wesley's not having a good time out there either. So it's all about the showing. And, and you know, this team needs to pull together a little bit. And I do think it's still a little bit of learning, a little bit of gelling. But, you know, hopefully they'll get there. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, but it's Arsenal next up for Aston Villa. And despite all the stuff that's going on at Arsenal at the moment, there's, you know, there's a bit of unrest in the fan base for uh, Unai Emery. I think it's still going to be a tough game. Um, the Gunners have drawn their last two games to Watford and Spurs, and they'll probably have a bit of a chip on their shoulder going into this next contest at the Emirates. Um, something key for me, though, is that they've conceded the highest amounts of shots on their goal, um, which is, I think, 96 in, in the, the top five leagues of Europe. They're, they're number one for the amount of shots that they've had on uh, um, on their, their own goal. I can't think of a way to word that better than I already did, but basically, <laughs> basically all the teams have shot at Arsenal's goal the most in Europe. <laughs> and... Um, you know that that's something that's that's an issue. They've they've tried to increase their their defence or improve their defence, should I say, with the likes of Kieran Tierney, who's yet to play for them, but could be uh, in contention for a starting position against Villa. Um, you know, David Luiz, and there's 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 certainly issues with with Arsenal at the moment. They're still kind of going for a transition period. But what are your feelings going into the Arsenal game? I I think. And it's just, it's the silly, old, optimistic villain in me. I think that Villa have a chance to actually take something away from this game. And it might just be a draw. That's okay. Um, like you said, Arsenal's given up shots at an alarming rate. Um, you know, Watford had nine shots on target, you know, the last game they played. And they drew that game 2-2. Arsenal was up 2-0, um, I think, before the 40th minute. And uh, Wofford came back and, and salvaged the draw. Um, so I think our Arsenal's just, you never really know what you're going to get. But again, like you said, they're coming off of back-to-back draws. Their supporters are ruthless. They want that team to win every single game. Um, they, they just have so many different players on their t- Like, Obama Yang looks like he, he could just break out a goal or, or a nice assist, a nice cross at any point in time. I really enjoy watching him as a footballer, even though he does play for Arsenal and not one of my very, very favorite teams to talk or speak of or be in the same room with their supporters. But um, I think it's going to be a really interesting contest. I think Villa can get something from this, but I think it's more likely that Arsenal are going to have the class and the talent and the chip on their shoulder 
and the supporters worried about Unai Emery, all that mixed together, and I think Villa's going to be in for a really tough game. Yeah, I, I personally can't see a win, but I can certainly see a draw. Um, the key thing to, to point out is, you, you know, you said um, that that Watford shot nine times, had nine shots on target. I don't know why I can't get this out properly. Um, so Watford had nine shots on target uh, against Arsenal. And leading up to that game, I think you told me earlier that, that the four games before this, they'd only had 11 shots on target. You know, compare the 11 shots across four games and the nine shots against Arsenal. Villa just need to basically take their chances when they come and that they will unsettle Arsenal. Yeah, I don't I don't even care where the shots are coming from. Just shoot the ball. Like, it's, it's, it, it's almost to that point now where I'd rather see someone from Villa. I'd get the ball even outside the box. And even if you have a slight, you know, slight sight on goal that you might even think you can do it, just shoot it. Especially against an Arsenal team that's given up nine shots to Watford. Watford doesn't look good at all so far this season. That's terrible. Like, that's a bad result for Arsenal. Drawn 2-2. And especially to see a 2-0 um, lead going into halftime and then you just absolutely crumble. You know, that's uh, you can't be having that if you're a team like Arsenal. They are a very, very talented squad. A lot of money's been spent there. You know, Unai Emery's, you know, a really, really good coach. He's got some things going on there as well. But yeah, this I, I think that team comes out to prove a point, and it just it's unfortunate it's going to happen against Aston Villa, or at least I think it is. But I mean, if, if they if they really channel all the all the rumblings that's been going on at their club, you know, for the past week now, I think that you know they're gonna they're gonna take it out on Villa, and it's it's I, I'm just hoping that Villa has a finds a way to you know get a couple goals in or finds a way to keep it to a draw. I just don't want it being something ugly, you know, you know, going to the Emirates and walking away at like a six nil defeat. I don't want to see anything like that. Yeah, because that's not that's not going to be helpful for anybody. No, not at all. No. But uh, speaking of six nil defeats, um, Crystal Palace ladies lost six nil to the Aston Villa women last weekend, as they uh, they grabbed their fourth straight win of the of the new season. Um, Melissa Johnson kept her goal scoring record going incredibly well with another hat trick. And uh, Amy West, Emma Follis, and Shania Hales also scored for the Villa women in their emphatic victory. They they really look like they're they're not afraid to kind of take their game to the opponents, especially so early into the season. Um, and there's a kind of a real feeling of togetherness about the Villa women. Do, do, you know how how long do you think that they can keep this winning streak going um, in the in the league rather than rather than cup games? In the league, I mean, they have a, a wonderful positive mentality right now, and that's really what it takes to get to where you want to go. Uh, they are in a challenging league, and don't let the results of their early season fool you. There are really good teams in their league, but I think promotion is the uh, is the goal, and I think that's what they're all looking forward. So um, I don't know if they'll go on some you know crazy fifteen seven you know game run or anything like that. But like I said, the the mentality of the players, and you're seeing these clips of them after the game talking about the game and experience and how much respect they have for one another and how even with the multiple amounts of new acquisitions they've gotten over the summer, they said all the uh, Aston Villa women are you know, gelling really well together and, you know, they're all, they've taken them in and, you know, made them feel at home and all that kind of stuff. You love that. That's what you needed at a competitive sports club. It doesn't matter what sport it is. So I think it's all about the mentality for the Aston Villa women. And I think they're going to go to this league cup, uh, uh, game against Durham. And, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be Durham going into that, but Durham, if I can remember is also near the top of the table in Villa's yeah, they're, league. They're in second and they're also unbeaten. Right, but I wouldn't. And they have a game in hand. Yeah, they have a game in hand as well. You're right, 
but I wouldn't want to be Durham going up against this, especially with Miss Melissa Johnson being in absolute crazy form, and especially the likes of like Emma Fallis, who's just a complete baller. Like there's no other two ways to say it. Like she's, she's such a fantastic footballer. I, I'd love watching her play. Yeah. And if you, if you've been listening to, you know, the last, the last, I don't know, to be fair, all of our podcasts, we mentioned the Aston Villa women, but if you've been listening recently and you, you found yourself, you know, listening a little bit more intently, um, when, when we talk about the Aston Villa women, then you can go over to our website under com, and we have a host of content on, on our website, um, about the Aston Villa women, you know, we've got opinion pieces and we've got interviews with some of the players. Uh, most recently, we've spoken to Emma Follis, who Mark just said is an absolute baller. And uh, we spoke to Melissa Johnson ahead of her hat-trick against Crystal Palace. And we we spoke to her about setting goals for the season, whether she had, you know, a, a, an amount that she wanted to hit. And she said she does, but she wasn't going to tell us. She said it, it was kept between her and the, her, the team and the staff. Um, but you know, it's those kind of like little interesting bits of personality that come out when they speak to us. And you know, if as I said, if you found yourself interested, make sure to check our content out. Yeah, I mean, we we love the the women's side of the game too. I mean, we're obviously you know we're more deeply rooted in the men's side. You know, just for the simple fact that's what gets all the glitz and all the glamour. But we really do support the women's game. Uh, the, these are all really awesome athletes and. You know, they've taken time for us at Under Gaslit Lamp to interview them or get, you know, kind of pick at their brain a little bit, get to see how they're feeling about the season, how they're feeling about some of the new acquisitions. We're super appreciative of that. Um, so, you know, long may it continue. And, you know, the women's team, they're they're very entertaining. And I know it, it sounds like it's product placement, but, you know, the, these women are Villa too, and they're really, really talented. So I'd really urge anybody to start keeping tabs on them. And it, it seems like uh, the only way is up for the Villa women team. I completely agree. Um, and we'll, we'll probably finish on this note, and I know it's something that's quite close to your heart, Mark. And that's the North American Lions meetup. Do you want to kind of delve into that a bit deeper? Yeah, so that happened this past weekend. Uh, it was the seventh annual Lions meetup. Um, it's not only exclusive to people in North America. So I went the uh, the one last year was in New York City. I had a great time. It was absolutely amazing. Now it's not just getting together and watching a villa game together. There's a lot of other things that go into it. You get to sightsee a city uh, with the actual chairman of that city who actually create an itinerary or try to uh, make a little groups of people be able to go and do fun things. So, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's a really cool thing, especially if you like to travel, but, um, you know, this year at the seventh annual North American line, uh, lions meetup, uh, the one of the massive, massive legends within our community over here in the States, as far as Villa goes, is Rick Long. Uh, he, he's uh, one of the chairmen for Lions Club in California. So he basically hosted this event with the help of other Lions chairmen in the area, namely Simon Tissington. So they were able to put on just this great event and get, get all the Villa people together that wanted to travel and check it out. Again, I was unable to go. Had a really, really great time, though. And they raised over $10,000 for Acorns Children's Hospice. So it's just one of those things that we like to do every year to try and get you know, a little bit of money pulled over and sent it back over since Aston Villa is so near and dear to our hearts and Acorn is so near and dear to Aston Villa and their supporters' hearts. We just try to do our part as much as we can, either through a raffle or an auction for memorabilia. Some of the guys were able to get their hands on signed memorabilia in uh, Minnesota at a training session. So there was a, you know, a pair of signed Jack Grealish boots and stuff like that went for a major, major fee. So it's just our way of giving back that the best way we can in the show that Aston Villa isn't just, you know, a jersey we throw on. It actually means something to us. So, again, it's such a great thing. I'm so proud of everybody involved. I'm so bummed out I couldn't go. But, you know, next year, if it's more accessible, I'll definitely be going. 
Yeah, kudos to everyone that was involved. You know, you're always telling me about about the things that go on, and it sounds like a real, real laugh and a real great opportunity to kind of showcase how much Villa means to to the fans over in America and how much the community means. You know, especially the the likes of Acorns and raising so much money for them. Uh, and like Mark said, you you know you don't have to be an American to go if you find yourself in America. Um, you can go and visit. I'm pretty sure Dan Bardell of the Villa View went over for a. I don't know. I don't think it was a meetup, but I know it was. A, well, I don't think it was a uh, annual meetup. I think it was more of a we're going to watch this game together meetup. Um, but yeah, you you can go. You don't have to be a member of one of these these uh, Lions clubs. Just just get in contact with with whoever's in that city, and Twitter or Facebook are probably the best places to do that. Yeah, Twitter and Facebook. I mean, on Facebook, you can just look up Aston Villa America. It's a big group. We're scattered all over the country and all over the world. I mean, we have expats that are in the group. I mean, I've met so many wonderfully beautiful human beings from all walks of life, all different creeds, religions, colors, you name it, man. I, I've got I've got friends in Norway. I've got friends in Thailand. I've got, obviously, friends over in England. I've got Australian mates, Boston. I've got guys, you know, a two-hour drive away from me in Cleveland, you know, Cincinnati, all them kind of places. So, you know, I just, it's such a tight-knit group it's such a sense of community and we just try to make make the club as proud as we can every single time that we turn out one of these meetup events and i think that's probably the best way we could have probably ended this podcast um we'll have a load of content coming out in the next next couple of days and uh within the next week there's three games next week um we've got brighton in the carabao cup and then of course uh Burnley on on the weekend. Um, as always, follow us on our social channels uh, at Villa Lamp on Twitter, uh, forward slash under a gaslit lamp on Facebook, at under a gaslit lamp on Instagram. Um, visit us on our website www.underagaslitlamp.com for all the latest opinion, news, and everything else. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. If you have enjoyed it, please give us a rating or a subscription or a star rating or whatever it might be on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks again for listening and up the villa.